Chapter sixty three of Peter Simple. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anthony Gerges. Peter Simple by Frederick Marriott. Chapter sixty three. Peter looks upon his loss as something gained, goes on board the rattlesnake to pack up, and is ordered to pack off. Polite leave taking between relations. Mrs. Trotter better and better goes to London and afterwards falls into all manner of misfortune by the hands of robbers and his own uncle. I hardly knew whether I felt glad or sorry at this sentence. On the one hand, it was almost a death blow to my future advancement or employment in the service. On the other, the recommendation very much softened down the sentence, and I was quite happy to be quit of Captain Hawkins and free to hasten to my poor sister. I bowed respectfully to the court, which immediately adjourned. Captain Hawkins followed the captains on the quarter-deck, but none of them would speak to him, so much to his disadvantage had come out during the trial. About ten minutes afterwards, one of the elder captains, composing the court, called me into the cabin. Mr. Simple, said he, we are all very sorry for you. Our sentence could not be more lenient under the circumstances. It was that conversation with the gunner at the Tarfall which floored you. It must be a warning to you to be more careful in the future how you permit anyone to speak on the conduct of your superiors on the quarter-deck. I am desired by the President to let you know that it is our intention to express ourselves very strongly to the Admiral in your behalf, so much so, that if another captain applies for you, you will have no difficulty in being appointed to a ship, and as for leaving your present ship, under any other circumstances I should consider it a matter of congratulation. I returned my sincere thanks, and soon afterwards quitted the guard ship, and went on board of the brig to pack up my clothes, and take leave of my messmates. On my arrival I found that Captain Hawkins had preceded me, and he was on deck when I came up on the side. I hastened down into the gunroom where I received the condolments of my messmates. "'Simple, I wish you joy,' cried Thompson, loud enough for the captain to hear on deck. "'I wish I had your luck. I wish somebody would try me by a court-martial.' "'As it has turned out,' replied I in a loud voice, and after the communication made to me by the captains composing the court, of what they intended to say to the admiralty, I agree with you.' thompson that it is a very kind act on the part of captain hawkins i feel quite grateful to him steward come glasses cried thompson let us drink success to mr simple all this was very annoying to captain hawkins who overheard every word when our glasses were filled simple your good health and may i meet with as good a messmate said thompson at this moment the sergeant of the marines put his head in the gun-room and said in the most insolent tone that i was to leave the ship immediately I was so irritated that I threw my glass of grog in his face, and he ran up to the captain to make the complaint, but I did not belong to the ship, and even if I had, I would have resented such impertinence. Captain Hawkins was in a great rage, and I believe you would have written for another court-martial, but he had had enough of them. He inquired very particularly of the sergeant whether he had told me that I was to leave the ship directly, or whether the Captain Hawkins desired that I should leave the ship immediately, and finding that he had not given the latter message which I was aware of, for had he given it, I dared not have acted as I did, he then sent down again by one of the midshipsmen, desiring me to leave the ship immediately. My reply was that I should certainly obey his orders with the greatest pleasure. I hastened to pack my clothes, reported myself ready to the second lieutenant, who went up for permission to man the boat, which was refused by Captain Hawkins, who said I might go on shore in a shore boat. I called one alongside, shook hands with all my messmates, and when I arrived on the quarter deck with Swinburne and some of the best men who came forward, Captain Hawkins stood by the binnacle bursting with rage. 
As I went over to the plains here, I took my hat off to him and wished him good morning very respectfully, adding, If you have any commands for my uncle, Captain Hawkins, I shall be glad to execute them. This observation, which showed him that I knew the connection and correspondence between them, made him gasp with emotion. Leave the ship, sir, or by God I'll put you in irons for mutiny, cried he. I again took off my hat and went down the side and shoved off. As soon as I was a few yards distance, the men jumped on the carronade and cheered, and I perceived Captain Hawkins order them down, and before I was a cable length from her, the pipe, all hands to punishment. So I presume some of the poor fellows suffered for their insubordination in showing their good will. I acknowledged that I might have left the ship in a more dignified manner, and that my conduct was not altogether correct. But still, I state what I really did do, and some allowance must be made for my feelings. This is certain that my conduct after the court-martial was more deserving of punishment than that which I had been tried. But I was in a state of feverish excitement, and I hardly knew what I did. When I arrived at Sally Port, I had my effects wheeled up on the blue posts, and packing up with those I most required, I threw off my uniform, which was once more a gentlemanly large. I took my place in the mail for that evening, sent a letter of thanks, with a few banknotes to my counsel, and then sat down and wrote a long letter to O'Brien, acquainting him with the events which had taken place. I had just finished and sealed it up, when in came Mrs. Trotter. "'Oh, my dear Mr. Simple, I am so sorry. I have come to console you. There is nothing like a woman where men are in affliction, as poor Mr. Trotter used to say, as he laid his head in my lap. When do you go to town?' "'This evening, Mrs. Trotter. I hope I am continued to attend the ship.' I hope so too, Mrs. Trotter. I have no doubt but you will. Now, Mr. Simple, how are you off for money? Do you want a little? You can pay me by and by. Don't be afraid. I'm not quite so poor as I was when you came down to mess with Trotter and me, and when you gave me a dozen pair of stockings, I know what it is to want money and what it is to want friends. Many thanks to you, Mrs. Trotter, replied I, but I have sufficient to take me home, and then I can obtain more. Well, I'm glad of it, but it was offered in earnest. Good-bye, and God bless you. Come, Mr. Simple, give me a kiss. It won't be the first time. I kissed her, for I felt grateful for her kindness, and with a little smirking and oogling, she quitted the room. I could not help thinking, after she was gone, how little we knew the hearts of others. If I had been asked if Mrs. Trotter was a person to have done a generous action, from what I have seen of her in adversity, I should have decidedly said no. Yet in this offer she was disinterested, for she knew the service well enough to be aware that I had little chance of being a first lieutenant again, and of being of service to her. And how often does it also occur that those who ought, from gratitude or long friendship, to do all they can to assist you, turn from you in your necessity, and prove false and treacherous? It is God alone who knows our hearts. I sent my letter to O'Brien to the Admiral's office, sat down to a dinner which I could not taste, and at seven o'clock got into the mail. I was very ill, I had a burning fever and a dreadful headache, but I thought only of my sister. When I arrived in town I was much worse, but did not wait more than an hour. I took my place in a coach which should not go to the town near which we resided, for I had inquired and found the coach was full, and I did not choose to wait another day. The coach in which I took my place went within forty miles of the vicarage, and I intended to post across the country. The next evening I arrived at the point of separation, and taking out my portmanteau, ordered a chase, and set off for what had once been my home. I could hardly hold my head up, I was so ill, and I lay in the corner of the chase, in a sort of dream, kept from sleeping by intense pain in the forehead and temples. It was about nine o'clock at night when we were in a dreadful jolting road. 
The shocks proceeded from which gave me agonizing pain, and the chase was stopped by two men who dragged me out onto the grass. One stood over me while the other rifled the chase. The postboy, who appeared a party to the transaction, remained quietly on the horse, and as soon as they had taken my effects, turned round and drove me off. They then rifled my person, taking away everything that I had, leaving me nothing but my trousers and shirt. After a short consultation, they ordered me to walk in on the direction which they had been proceeding in the chase, and to hasten as fast as I could, or else they would blow my brains out. I complied with their request, thinking myself fortunate to have escaped so well. I knew that I was still thirty miles at least from the vicarage, but ill as I was, I hoped to be able to reach it on foot. I walked during the remainder of the night, but I got on but slowly. I reeled from one side of the road to the other, and occasionally sat down to rest. Morning dawned, and I perceived habitations not far from me. I staggered on in my course. The fever now raged in me. My head was splitting with agony, and I trotted to a bank near a small neat cottage on the side of the road. I have a faint recollection of someone coming to me and taking my hand, but nothing further, and it was not till many months afterwards that I became acquainted with the circumstances which I now relate. It appears that the owner of the cottage was a half-pay lieutenant in the army who had sold out on account of his wounds. I was humanely taken to his house, laid on a bed, and a surgeon requested to come to me immediately. I had now lost all recollection, and who I was they could not ascertain. My pockets were empty, and it was only by the mark of my linen that they found out that my name was Simple. For three weeks I remained in a state of alternate stupor and delirium. When the latter came on, I raved of Lord Privilege, O'Brien, and Celeste. Mr. Selwyn, the officer who was so kindly assisted me, knew that Simple was a patronymic name of Lord Privilege, and he immediately wrote to his lordship stating that a young man of the name of Simple, who, in his delirium, called upon him and Captain O'Brien, was lying in a most dangerous state in his house, and that, as he presumed, I was a relative of his lordship, he had deemed it right to appraise him of the fact. My uncle, who knew that it must be me, thought this too favorable an opportunity, provided I should live, not to have me in his power. He wrote to say that he would be there in a day or two, at the same time thanking Mr. Selwyn for his attention to his poor nephew, and requesting that no expense might be spared. But when my uncle arrived, which he did in his own chariot, the crisis of the fever was over, but I was still in a state of stupor arising from extreme debility. He thanked Mr. Selwyn for his attention, which he said he was afraid was of little avail, as I was every year becoming more deranged, and he expressed his fears that it would terminate in chronic lunacy. His poor father died in the same state, continued my uncle, passing his hand across my eyes as if much affected. I have brought my physician with me to see if he can be moved. I shall not be satisfied unless I am with him night and day. The physician, who was my uncle's valet, took me by the hand, felt my pulse, examined my eyes, and pronounced that it would be very easy to move me, and that I should recover sooner in a more airy room. Of course Mr. Selwyn raised no objection, putting down all to my uncle's regard for me, and my clothes were put on me as I lay in a state of insensibility, and I was lifted into the chariot, as it is more wonderful that I did not die from being taken out of bed in such a state, but it pleased heaven that it should be otherwise. Had such an event taken place, it would probably have pleased my uncle much better than my surviving. When I was in the carriage, supported by the pseudo-physician, my uncle again thanked Mr. Selwyn, begged that he would command his interest, wrote a handsome check for the surgeon, who had attended me, and getting into the carriage, drove off with me in a state of insensibility. That is, I was not so sensible, but I think I felt I had been removed, and I heard the rattling of the wheels, but my mind was so uncollected that I was in a state of such weakness that I could not feel assured of it for a minute. For some days after, for I recollect nothing about the journey, 
I found myself in bed in a dark room, and my arms confined. I recalled my senses, and by degrees was able to recollect all that had occurred, until I lay down by the roadside. Where was I? The room was dark. I could distinguish nothing. That I had attempted to do myself some injury. I took for granted, or my own arms would have been secured. I had been in a fever and delirious, I suppose, and had now recovered. I had been in a reverie for more than an hour, wondering why I was left alone when the door of the apartment opened. "'Who's there?' inquired I. "'Oh, you've come to yourself again,' said a gruff voice. "'Then I'll give you a little daylight.' He took down the shutter which covered the whole of the window, and a flood of light poured in, which blinded me. I shut my eyes and by degrees admitted the light until I could bear it. I looked at the apartment. The walls were bare and whitewashed. I was on a truckle bed. I looked at the window. It was closed up with iron bars. "'Why, where am I?' inquired I of the man with alarm. "'Where are you?' replied he. "'Why, in bed, lamb.' End of chapter 63